Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Welcome this morning to Journey Church. Thank you for your uh, coming here today and worshiping with us here today. Um, I, I want to reiterate something that Pastor uh, Chris announced when he was up here, and that is the need for volunteers. He talked about the need for volunteers, and we really do need that. We need people volunteering in all different areas of ministry. <clears throat> A lot of times what happens is... Um, with a lack of volunteers, we just have everything put upon the staff, and so the staff is the one responsible for all the things that happen in the church, which is not the way it's supposed to be. We are, we are supposed to be worshiping and serving uh, together as a body of believers, so I would encourage you to do so because we don't want it to fall uh, completely on, on our pastoral staff to do all of that, but we are blessed to have a pastoral staff the way that we do. Um, we really have a lot of great, uh, great uh, employees and staff here at the church, which I am really, really thankful for. Pastor Dave, who is the old man on the staff, he is the one who is responsible for our um he oversees our Celebrate Recovery ministry, uh, but he also is handling a lot of the uh, a lot of the children's ministry remodel project that is going on, and he is doing a lot of that work alone. So we need helpers to be able to help him because, uh, uh, well, he's just old. Well, that's what we want. So we then have you know Pastor Chris who is up here. He is our youth pastor. He is the we, he's the good looking one on the staff. Uh, Stephen, Pastor Stephen, so talented in worship. He is the most talented one, I think, on our staff, and that just leaves me, and I just really am the smartest one on the staff, um, which reminds me, yeah, thank you, I, well, wow, okay, I didn't expect the spontaneous applause that would happen with that, there was only a couple of people, but I, I'm going to take that as everybody applauded. But that reminds me of a, of a story that I had heard, just it came to my mind, um, of a kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Smith. She was standing up uh, in front of all of her kids. She had all of her little uh, kindergartners around on the floor in front of her. She wanted to teach them about self-esteem. So she, she was standing there talking to them, and she said, and hopefully teaching them about self-esteem, she said, I want any of you who feel like you are dumb, I want you to stand up. Now, she was convinced that nobody would stand up because nobody would possibly think that, so she was going to give a great opportunity to teach them why everyone is smart and everyone uh, is brilliant in her class. To her surprise, though, little Johnny stood up, and she looked at little Johnny, and she said, Johnny, you, you don't think you're dumb, do you? You're not dumb. And little Johnny said to her, Mrs. Smith, no, I don't think that I'm dumb. I just didn't want you to stand up there all by yourself. <laughs> so, yes... I may be the smartest one on the staff, but I am standing up uh, by myself, so I'm kidding in all of that. But no, we do need, we do need volunteers. Um, we are starting a new six-week series today, and the six-week series is called Living a Godly Life 
in an ungodly world. We have just finished this in-game series where we have been looking at the end times events as described by Jesus. Jesus himself describes what the end time events are going to look like and what they are going to be, the things that we can be watching for. So the natural response to that is, so what now? What do we do with the information that Jesus gave us? In the book of 2 Peter, and this happened through a, a dream that I had had, which was a weird thing because I am not one that has spiritual kind of dreams like this, but in March I had this dream, and in the dream I saw a verse, and the verse was 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, which I didn't know what it was uh, despite you know contrary uh, belief. I, I don't know where everything in the Bible is. I don't have the whole thing memorized, so I didn't know what that verse was. I woke up, and it came to me many times in the dream, and I woke up, and I went to the Bible, and I pulled it open, and I looked to see what it said, and I wanted to read chapter 3, verse 12, but then I read 10 through 12, and here's what 10 through 12 said. It says, but the day of the Lord, and that's what we had been talking about the end times events, the day of the Lord, the day that he returns, it will come like a thief. On that day, the day he returns, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything done on it shall be exposed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Well, here's what Peter says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is the verse that I saw in this dream. What kind of people should we be? Well, here's the kind. Live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So in the light of end times events, in the light of the things that Jesus taught us in Matthew 24 and 25 about the end times, how should we be? What should we be like? How should we be preparing ourselves? And the answer to that is this. We should be living our lives in holiness and godliness, looking for his return. So with that thought in mind, that brought this series of messages, and this series of messages, these six messages, now they're not going to be um, consecutive because next week I want to take a break and look at Mother's Day since it's Mother's Day last week and we need to celebrate moms. But other than that, we're going to go through this series and we're going to cover teachings out of Second Chronicles. Now you probably have not read much in Second Chronicles. I'm assuming it's in the Old Testament. And we are going to cover a specific king in Second Chronicles. And we're going to look at chapters 14 through 17 over these six weeks. Today's message title is this. It is pursuing godliness. Living a godly life in an ungodly world. How can we pursue Godliness. Let's pray as we begin and jump into God's word here today. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word, to understand your truth. And I pray, Lord, that it would affect us deep down in the core of our being. Help us, Lord, to be discontent and bothered by any ungodliness, unrighteousness, and unholiness in our lives. Father, search our hearts, search our minds, know our ways, and if there's anything within us that is contrary to you, help us, Lord. Help us to change and to be different. 
Lord, through this series, help us to learn from the example of King Asa and help us to see how powerful it is, the things that he did to restore the nation of Israel back to you. Father, I pray that you would move among us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I came across a quote, and this quote was a couple of months ago, and I saw this quote, and I thought, this is so powerful. It was a quote that was given by a guy by the name of Donald James Wheel. He wrote under the pseudonym of, uh, of James Dresden, or Thomas Dresden, or, Tom, or Donald James. He wrote under all three of those names, and the quote said this. It said, when a well-packaged web of lies has been sold gradually to the masses over generations, the truth will seem utterly preposterous and its speaker a raving lunatic. Did you hear that? When a well-packaged web of lies has been sold to generation after generation, those lies will seem like truth. And anyone who stands up and says that is not true something different is true, that person will seem like a raving lunatic. We are living in those days today where if you speak of God's word as being true, you will seem like a raving lunatic because that is contrary to the lies that have been perpetuated throughout the past couple of generations. The lies that have been given over have been widely swallowed and those lies make the truth seem absolutely preposterous. We need the truth of God's word now more than ever. We need to understand God's word. We need to understand how God's word affects our lives more than ever in the days that are ahead of us. So with that idea, we need to understand how exactly do we live a godly life in this ungodly world, in this ungodly nation right now, in this ungodly generation that we are in. Well, to understand this, I wanted to turn to the Old Testament, and I'm going to cover a guy by the name of King Asa. King Asa is a person, a king, who helped to restore the nation of Israel back to where his great-great-grandfather David had it as he was king. Now, before we get into the words out of 2 Chronicles, let me give you the history uh, uh, just of the kings of that nation in that day so you can understand where it all falls. So, it started off with King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel never had a king before, but Israel wanted to be like the rest of the nations. God was the ruler of Israel. He was king of Israel, but the people were not content with that. They wanted their own king. They cried out for a king, so God said, fine, I'm going to give you a king, and you're going to regret it. Because the kings that come... Uh, that come in these generations are going to be wicked and evil, and they're going to lead the nation astray. But if you want a king, I'll give you a king. The first king was Saul. Saul was, was an ungodly man. He was an unjust king. He was replaced by David. David was the king of Israel. He is seen still today as the king of Israel. He is a man after God's own heart. David had done wrong. He had committed sin, but that was not enough to wipe him out. It was not enough to uh, take away God's standing in his life. He was the ultimate king. He was seen as a, a man after God's own heart. Solomon came next. Solomon was the son of David. 
Solomon started off well. He listened to God. He followed the commands of God. He listened to the advice of his father, David, or the advice that David had given to him. And he started off really, really well. But Solomon had a problem. And his problem was selfishness. His problem was self-centeredness. His problem was greed and materialistic desires. His problem was to satisfy the desires of his own flesh. Solomon would have in his life, he would have 700 wives and he would have 300 concubines. Now, I know you just, that, that sounds like craziness. Uh, there must be some deep uh, sexual addiction there. I don't know what's going on, but that is just crazy. But he allowed this to happen. And with all of these wives and all of the concubines, mostly foreign, they brought in foreign belief systems. They brought in pagan worship, pagan idolatry, and it caused Solomon to decline, and it caused the entire nation to begin to fall apart. Solomon would have multiple sons, and I don't even know if they know the count of all of the sons and daughters that Solomon would have had, but two of those would have been Rehoboam and Jeroboam. These guys would begin to fight, and they would divide the nation into two. They would divide the nation of Israel into two countries. It would be Judah to the north, Israel to the south. Israel would have been ruled by Jeroboam, and the line would follow after that, which we're not going to follow, we're not going to look at. Jeroboam would rule Israel, but Rehoboam would rule Judah. Now, Rehoboam was wicked in the sight of God. Rehoboam abandoned the ways of God. He ignored the laws of God. He set up idolatry. He set up male, homosexual, idolatrous worship in temples. He set up these temple sexual practices that would happen. The nation would begin to follow the Baal worship or the Baal worship and the Asherah worship. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later. He would lead the country astray, and here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 12 about Rehoboam. It says, now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and strengthened himself that he forsook the law of God and all Israel along with him. In 1 Kings 14, here's what it says about Rehoboam. Meanwhile, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The kingdom of Judah did what was evil in Adonai, the Lord's sight. They provoked God to jealousy with more than all their forefathers had done with the sins that they committed. They built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, Asherah poles on every high hill and under every leafy tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did the same abominations as those nations that the Lord had driven out from before the children of Israel. He had done what was evil in God's sight. He led the nation astray. The nation was falling apart. He died, and his son Abijah would become king. Abijah did everything that his father had done as well. He only ruled for three years, but he followed in his father's footsteps. The apple did not fall far from the tree. In 1 Kings chapter 15, it says that of Abijah, he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like the heart of his father, David. And so this is the line. This is the family tree. 
All of the sudden, you have coming up at the end a king whose name looks like Asa, but it's pronounced Asa. Asa would be different. He would be the kind of king that would revert back to his great-grandfather, David. He would be the kind of king that, his, that God would be proud of, that the people would be proud of, because he would restore and bring back the ways of God to the nation. It goes to show you that your upbringing does not have to define you. He grew up with a grandfather and a father, two generations that did not follow God, that were wicked in the sight of God, yet his upbringing did not stop him from following God and turning his heart to God. Your upbringing today does not have to define you. Some of you grew up in homes that were highly dysfunctional, alcoholic homes, uh, divided homes, homes where there was abandonment, homes where there was rejection, homes where maybe you didn't even know who your parents were, maybe you didn't know who a father was in your home. Whatever situation you grew up in, does not have to define your future. You can be different if you allow God to take the throne of your heart. If you submit yourself to his ways and his plans, life can be different. Well, we're going to look at King Asa, and we're going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. In your Bibles, if you are using the version that I like to use, which is called the TLV version, chapter 13, the final verse, which is verse uh, 23, in your versions, that's chapter 14, verse 1. So it's a little bit off if you're following along in the TLV. It's just one chapter that that happens. But I want to read these verses for you. Follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bible. It'll either be the last verse of chapter 13. If you're using the TLV version, it will be the first verse of chapter 14 if you're using other versions. Here's what it says. Then Abijah, that was his father, the, the previous king, he slept with his fathers, meaning he had died. He was buried in the city of David. His son Asa became king in his place. During his days, the land was untroubled for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of Adonai, his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek Adonai, the God of their fathers, and to obey the Torah, that is the law, and the mitzvah, that is the commandment. He then also removed the high places and the incense stands out of all of the cities of Judah. So the kingdom remained untroubled under him. He built up fortified cities in Judah, for the land was untroubled, and he was not engaged in warfare during those years. Why? Because Adonai had given him rest. Then the king said to Judah, his nation... Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is still ours, because we have sought Adonai Elihenu, the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest all around, so they built and were successful. I want to give you from this story that I just read five points about how you and I today 
can start living a godly life, a righteous life, a holy life, how your life can be characterized by those things. The first step, obviously, is accepting Christ in your, Lord, in your life as Lord, but what happens from that point on? Well, King Asa gives us a wonderful example, and I want you to just listen to these points. Now, point one and two are combined, so look at point one and two. Here's how you and I can have godliness, how we can pursue godliness and holiness in our lives today. Number one, sever what is wrong and submit to what is right. Sever what is wrong and submit to what is right. Let's look at what he did and just look at the verses that I had previously read. And I want to highlight some things here for you. Here's what it says. Asa... He did what was good and right in the eyes of Adonai, his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the pillars and he cut down the Asherah poles. He also removed the high places and the incense stands out of all of the cities of Judah. What was step number one? It is to sever what is wrong and submit to what is right. What did he do? First thing he did was this. He submitted to what was right. He did what God told him to do. He did what was right and good in God's eyes. At his core, what he wanted to do was obey and follow exactly what God says. How do I know what God says? Well, he gives us everything that he says in his word. And the first desire that he had was to this. It was to say, God, I'm sick of following my own ways and my own plans. I will follow you. Whatever your word says, that is what I will do. Whatever your word tells me to obey, that is what I will obey. He submitted to God's authority, to God's plan, and God's will for his life. Many people today refuse to obey God and submit their lives to his authority and plan. Many people today, even Christians today, will say, God, I will follow you on my terms. See, I will follow you, God, if you will do exactly what I want you to do. I will follow you today. I just won't give up or change or do what you want me to do. I'm going to keep living life how I want to live it. I'm going to keep experiencing life the way that I want to experience. I'm going to keep doing everything that I want to do. I just want you to come along for the ride. You, God, just come along and join with me with whatever I do. Just be okay with it instead of the other way around. There is a point in life that we have to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, and I submit to whatever you tell me to do. It's no longer my way. God, it's your way. That desire to submit led him to do what God called him to do, which was remove the altars, smash the pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now, what is that all a reference to? Between Solomon and between Asa's father Abijah, the nation got consumed with Baal worship and Asherah worship. Now, what was that? 
Well, let me tell you about the gods of that day, the Moabite gods, the Canaanite gods that influenced and affected these people greatly. There was the chief supreme god whose name was El. And El had relations with his mistress whose name was Asherah. Asherah was the god of, goddess of fertility, the goddess of the sea, and she was to be worshipped because she was responsible for helping us to have fertile lands and fertile people. We could, we could produce more kids and we could have better crops and harvest if she blesses us. She was the goddess Asherah. She had relations with, uh, with El. She was his mistress and they gave birth to a guy by the name of Baal. He often is referenced as having a body of a man and the head of a bull. If you've seen those pictures, that's a picture of Baal. Now, he was somebody who was incredibly wicked, and he defeated his father, El, and he became the supreme god. He then began to have incestuous relationships with his mother, Asherah, and that's where fertility came from. In the worship of Baal, they believed that he would grant them fertile lands, great harvests, and a great number of kids, so they would worship him. How would they worship him? Well, they would have idol worship in temples. They would have sexualistic rituals. They would have the male prostitutes in the temples. There was all kinds of things that the Bible says were perverted, and that was going on all around them. They would also have Asherah worship. Now, if you've seen pictures of Asherah, she's often represented by a little statue that is oftentimes nude, which will many times looks pregnant, uh, having large breasts. That's, that's the picture of Asherah. They would worship Asherah underneath trees or poles called Asherah poles. So you would go out to one of the poles, you go out to one of the trees, that's where you would worship her, you would worship Baal in the temple, and it was just a sick, perverted thing. Not only that, but they had sacrifices that would take place to Baal. Some of the sacrifices that they would do would be animals, but if they especially wanted him to react, they would, worship, they would sacrifice children. They would often take the statue of this Baal, they would heat it up to an extreme temperature, and they would lay an infant's body alive into the arms of this statue. And then they would beat drums to drown out the cries of this infant who was obviously screaming. It was sick, it was perverted, it was messed up, and they were allowing this to go on. Solomon allowed this to go on. His son, Rehoboam, allowed this to go on. Abijah, his son, allowed this to go on. And the nation fell further and further away from God, further and further away from his commands, and further and further away from his truth. Now, you may think, well, those, I mean, those are primitive simpletons. How could they possibly worship something like this? We would never believe anything like this. Here's the truth. Everyone worships something. Evil practices never go away. They simply evolve and change forms. Everyone today, though you don't worship a statue, you will worship something by default. We have all kinds of gods in our day. We have, we have the God of self, elevating ourselves above any other thing. 
We have the God of greed, the God of money, the God of materialism, the God of pride and ego, the God of naturalism and science. We cling to the illusions that are presented. We have these gods that we have created, and we bow down and worship them. In our modern day today, we have the ideas now of this woke movement, which you've all heard about, which is another form of religious worship. It just looks different. We may not worship Baal, we may not worship Asherah, but we have put anything and everything in its places. Asa came along and said, this is sick. This is wrong. I will not do this. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 15, it says of Asa, verses 11 through 13, Now Asa did what was right in Adonai's eyes like his father David. He also expelled the male prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Also, he even deposed his own mother. His mother's name was Micah from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image as an Asherah pole. So her son, Asa, cut down her image and burned it in the Kidron Valley. So what did he do? He submitted to God's authority and he severed everything that was wrong. Now I'm going to ask you this question personally. Have you submitted to God's authority and have you said, God, I want to sever the things that are wrong in my life? You know, we today have issues in our lives. We have people who are dealing with addiction, dealing with alcoholism, dealing with drug addiction, dealing with pornography addiction. We are self-addicted. We are addicted to money. We are addicted to greed. Have you severed what is wrong in your life? Have you said to God, God, search my heart, search my mind, know my ways. If there's anything contrary to you, remove them from my life. You know, you know, if you're struggling with those things, I would highly encourage you to start going to Tuesday nights to celebrate recovery where it's going to help you sever the things that are wrong and turn and submit to the things that are right. I would encourage you to get involved in Bible studies and small groups and making sure you're attending a God-believing, God-preaching church that will help you grow in God's grace. We need to sever what is wrong in our lives. If you do an introspective search of your own heart and you allow God to show you yourself, you may indeed find in yourself that you're full of pride and greed, that you're full of sinful behaviors, that there's a lot of disobedience and rebellion toward God, that there's addictions that you are struggling with, and God wants to remove that. He wants you to come to the place where you allow him to remove, smash, and cut down to go all incredible Hulk on your junk in your life. That's what God does. First thing that Asa did was to sever what was wrong and submit to what was right. The second or the third thing that he did was then to seek what is good. So he severed what was wrong, he submitted to what was right, he began to seek what was good. Look at what it says in that story. Asa commanded Judah to seek Adonai, the God of their fathers, and to obey the Torah, the law, and the mitzvah, the commandment. He did two things. He sought after God. He searched for him. 
He didn't let somebody else spoon feed him. He searched after God. God, I am responsible for me. The church is not responsible. Your parents are not responsible. Your friends are not responsible. You're responsible for you. Seek after God yourself. Open the word of God and begin to read and study and understand what God says. Because if you seek him and search for him, you will find him. And that peace will override everything else in your heart. Seek after what is good. And when he says it, obey it. Is there anything in your life that you know right now you are just willfully disobeying what he says to do? I don't have to tell you the list. You probably already know. And you probably already feel the conviction right now of some things in your life that you're just doing that are disobedient to God. And you know what we do? We turn to him. We say, God, I'm sorry. And you begin to seek and obey you begin to seek after what is good. Fourth thing that he did, that King Asa did to help the nation of Israel return to a sense of godliness is he also strengthened what was weak. I love this, this point. He strengthened what was weak. He looked across the nation and he saw areas that these are vulnerable to attack. And he put up strengthening positions around them. Look what it says. He built up fortified cities, cities that would be surrounded by protective positions, cities surrounded by walls, cities surrounded by towers. For the land was untroubled. He put these up while the land was untroubled, not when the trouble came. He did it before the land was troubled. And he was not engaged in warfare during those years because Adonai had given him rest. Then he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. While the land is still ours because we have sought Adonai Elihenu, the Lord, our God. Are there any areas of your life that are weak points? We all have weak points. We all have areas of our lives that God wants to strengthen, that Satan knows that there's a weak point here, that this is the area of attack. See, you may not have issues with numbers of things. Maybe you don't have an issue with greed. You don't have an issue with pride. You don't have an issue uh, in your life with alcoholism or drug use. You, you feel like you've overcome those things, but you have a weak point. Maybe that point for guys, it's pornography. That's your area of weakness. And what has to happen it has to be strengthened, it has to be protected, it has to be built up so that when the enemy comes, I can stand against this. What is your weak area in your life? When you find and discover what that weak area is, the area that Satan will attack the most, what do you do? You, pick, you strengthen it. You strengthen it, one, through being in God's word. You strengthen it, number two, through being in Bible studies, through being in small groups. You strengthen it in another way by going to something like a celebrate recovery. You strengthen it by having people in your life around you that can be your partners and your friends and your accountability. Family or friends that are believers 
that you can say with vulnerability, this is an area of weakness for me. Would you be there for me if I struggle? Would you be there so that I can call you? I can lean upon you. Would you be there and pray for me? Would you help me? You band together. I want you to picture in your mind the plains of Africa. In the plains of Africa, you're going to see these different animals, these herd animals running all across the plains. Maybe there's a herd of wildebeest, or maybe it's gazelle, or maybe it's just zebra. And you see these zebra that are running around, and then you see a couple of lions or lionesses that are in the weeds waiting to pounce. Who are they trying to pounce on? Who are they trying to take down? It's the one that they can get isolated from the herd. The one who's maybe vulnerable, maybe it's young, maybe it's weak and infirmed, maybe it's got a broken leg. I'm going I'm to separate this one out so that I can then attack. It always attacks the one that's alone because the herd has protection. The most times in our lives that we are the most vulnerable is when we have isolated ourselves and broken off from the herd. And when you do that, you are easily under attack by the lions that are creeping in the grass. So we strengthen what is weak. We have people around us. We have a support system so that we make sure that we are protected when these battles come. Fifth thing, and the final thing, and we'll end with this. Here's what Asa did. He also celebrated what God has given Asa had a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for what God had done. And he appreciated what God had done. And God blessed him and gave him a time of peace. It says this, So the kingdom remained untroubled. The kingdom remained untroubled under him. He built up fortified cities in Judah for the land was untroubled and he was not engaged in warfare during those years because Adonai had given him rest. We sought him and he has given us rest all around. So they built and they were successful. During the times of rest is the time where you stock up. You build up your positions. You strengthen yourself. How do we strengthen ourselves? We grow deep in God's word during the times of rest so that when the times of trouble come, we are prepared to be able to handle it. We strengthen ourselves by by going to church, by reading things that are healthy and good, by being in God's word every day and studying it and knowing it and hiding it deep in our hearts. I put out a video devotional three times a week. week. Get on that. Learn and grow in God's word through that. Be a part of a Bible study. Be a part of a group. Be a part of a small group. Grow in God's word and celebrate. Don't just sit idly by. Most people, when life is not stressful and when life is not troubled, we tend to get very, very lazy. It's the time where we sit in our recliner with bags of potato chips and we watch TV because life is easy and I don't have to put in much effort and it's not hard at all. That's exactly the time that I should be using it as a time for growth. Are you using times of rest as a time to go stronger in him? We are called to live a godly life in an ungodly world. 
Since we see the day approaching, since we see times of the end coming near, how should we live? We should be living with holiness and godliness, making sure that we are looking forward to the coming of the Lord. How do I do that? Well, first, do you have a relationship with Christ? There is no other way. There's no other plan. There's no other man by which we can come to God. The God-man Jesus paved the way, taking our sins upon him so that we could have life eternal with him. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. It starts with that. Have you made a decision to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you in my heart. I want a relationship with you. If you don't want that, that's between you and God. But it all starts there. Once you have done that, you sever what is wrong and you submit to what is right. You submit to God's plan and God's purposes for your life. You seek what is good. You begin to search after God and obey him. You strengthen what is weak, the areas of trouble, the areas that you could be under attack, and you celebrate what God has given. And you use those times where life is untroubled to grow deep in his word. Are you living a godly life in an ungodly world? Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you so much for your word, the encouragement of your word, the teaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the words that are spoken here today and the verses that have been read, and you would use it by the power of your Holy Spirit to touch our lives and to change our hearts. Father, be with us as we leave this place. Be with us, Lord, and help us to honor you through the way that we live life. And Lord, search our hearts and search our minds. Is there anything within us that is ungodly, unrighteous, disobedient, rebelliousness toward you? If there is, Lord, help us to repent, to sever those things. Maybe for some, it means a relationship that needs to be severed. For some, maybe it's a situation. For some, maybe it's a job that needs to be severed. For some, maybe it's a love, an inordinate love of money that needs to be severed. For some, Lord, maybe it's an addiction that needs to be severed. Whatever we need to do, Lord, help us to do so so that we bring honor and glory to you. And as we see the day of the Lord coming near, help us to live holy and godly lives. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.